I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Sinatra Walker here and we are on for a roundtable with Dr. Paul Meyer. Paul, thanks so much for coming back on the show. I love being on. (laughs) And Melanie Van is here also. Hey Melanie. Hey guys. So tonight we're going to talk about codependency and narcissism and uh Paul's got a great book that still people are still purchasing um, that came out about the time that Codependency No More came out. And you had an interesting um, experience on a talk show with that. So, Paul, you want to share that with the listeners? Yeah, well, um, I had a, a psychologist that um, that really was up on that when, when it was first, you know, the term was just sort of being invented and and um, and and. Him and I and a couple other people wrote one of the first books on codependency uh, that came out about the same time as Codependent No More. And uh, and it was called Love is a Choice. And um, it talks about, you know, choosing to love in a healthy way instead of uh, in a codependent way. And uh, I was on Oprah with it. And uh, she showed it. And, of course, when she flashed it, it sold a million copies. And it's still uh, selling and that came out in eighties, late eighties, I think it was eighty eight, ninety, I forgot what year it came out. But anyway, um it's uh in fact it's uh right now it's it's uh selling so well in Germany, you know, it's catching on in Germany now, twenty years later, you know. But it's uh it's selling so well in Germany that they just came out um with an audio book on it just about two or three months ago. I'm looking at it here, I'm in my office right now and I got a Utzerliba. You know, so got a copy of it here. But, how do you um, get notified yeah, about that? It's still selling. Or, I, like, oh, how they, do you they, find out about they, this? They send me one. They sent me an audio book. The publishers, okay. when they have it, when it comes out in a new language, I get a copy of of each uh, language that it comes out in. Mm, and that fantastic. was an audio book that I got sent in the mail. I didn't even know they were doing it until I got sent it in the mail. So fantastic. So how, how were you? Were you one of the uh, expert, like Oprah had a guest that talked about the topic and then you were one of the yeah. doctors that she yeah. says, Dr. Meyer, tell comment about that. Was it that kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. She had several families on 
that had uh, uh, those kinds of issues, and um, and so um, she had each family tell a little bit about their story and what happened to their kids and things like that. Um, and, and then she asked me to comment on each one. And then when it was over, I mean, Oprah, I, I really like Oprah. Um, and uh, when it was over, um, she had me go out to her limo to take me to her hotel that she owned. <laughs> and I was out, I was just climbing in the limo and then she came jogging out it was outside, you know, she came jogging out the door and, and, and Dr. Meyer, Dr. Meyer stopped me. And, uh, and she said, uh, uh, one of the lady, you know, the lady that was on the show just now talking about her you know, daughter doing all sorts of, you know, burning the kids and all that sort of thing, mm. um, is crying. And do you mind coming back in and comforting her? And I said, no, I'd love to. So she came out herself to get me to see if I would, uh, mm. help uh, talk to somebody that was crying after the show. I thought mm. that was pretty sweet. Well, of course you went in. My God, it wouldn't be Paul Meyer if you didn't immediately <laughs> go back well, in I thought there. Oprah was being really sweet to do that. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So a lot of people from what we've read and, you know, done so many shows about these kind of topics do not see narcissism and code like narcissists, people that are very narcissistic. Um, they don't see them as being codependent. And I, and I don't believe that I, I think that they absolutely are not all of them, of course, but I, I can see it as a codependency um, issue because they're so codependent on getting attention <laughs> without it. Yeah. They wither, they wither and die. And that's, that's a codependency. Um, so in fact, Christian, there's, a, there's a really good book out there that some of my uh, therapists have their patients read. Um, where, that talks about that topic mm. where the name of the book is I Hate You, Don't Leave Me. Right. Because <laughs> narcissists, you know, they'll do that. They'll, you know, yep. they'll act like they love you and then they'll, then they'll hate you and, and, uh, but they don't want you to leave them. You know, I, I hate you, don't leave me. <laughs> That's a pretty good time. Yeah, I've, I've experienced that for sure. So, Paul, will you kick this off for us and what you think about when you think about those two terms together, narcissism and codependency? Okay. Um, there's, there's a lot of different, there, there's, first of all, there's a lot of different types of codependency. There's really good people that can be codependent on other really good people, but they're just being, uh, you know, they're just being too controlling or things like that without being narcissistic. But then there's people that are, that are addicted to narcissists. And uh, I, I'm gonna share a case study that, it's been a long time since I shared it. I shared it on one or two previous shows, but that came right to mind when, when you started talking about it, Kristen. Mm -hmm. um, I, had a, I had a client who was a movie star and, um, and uh, she was suicidally depressed and um, she, this was in the hospital. So I was a consult and they had me come in and talk to her first uh, for a workup. And then later on, she came to our day program. But, um, but anyway, when I talked to her, uh, I, I said, what are you depressed about? She said, well, I'm, I'm going through my seventh divorce. And she was a famous movie star and she's like 30, she was about 37 or 38 at the time. And, uh, and I said, well, well, that's sad. That is sad. You know, why are you going through the divorce? Well, he ran around on me. He, he bragged about it. He'd beat me up if I complained and he was a, a drug addict and, and uh, I said, well, I, you know, I can see why, you know, you go through a divorce. 
And, and I said, uh, how many times have you been married? She said seven. And I, it was either six or seven. I'm not sure which. And so I had her describe. I said, well, what was your previous husband like? Well, he was a, an alcoholic who ran around on me and beat me up. And, uh, and, and each one, I, went, I worked my way back. And, um, and all of them were either drug addicts or alcoholics. They were all narcissists. And they all were abusive narcissists. And, um, um, uh, and, and so usually I ask them, you know, pretty early on in the one hour workup uh, about their childhood, but I hadn't asked her. And so I said, um, is it okay if I guess your childhood instead of asking you about it? Yeah, yeah, go ahead and guess it. I said, well, uh, your dad was an alcoholic, wasn't he? And she said, yeah, how'd you know? And I said, the, uh, I uh, used to beat up on your mom, didn't he? Yeah, he did. Yeah, how'd you know that? And I said, he'd beat up on you once in a while. Yeah. And uh, and then I said, well, how old were you when your dad sexually molested you? And uh, and she just, she actually got really mad at me. She said, I've never told anybody about that. How'd you know that? Did you talk to my mom or somebody first? You know, before mm-hmm. I said, no, I was guessing that. Uh, because um, uh, there's got to be some reason, um, well, you know, why you, you married seven men in a row that were, that were all narcissists like that, and right. uh, and she said, no, I, you know, you know, most men are that way, and and I just had bad luck and stuff like that. And she actually uh, fired me. You know, she kicked me out of the room, uh, <laughs> and then she thought about it and asked for me to come back, and then she let us treat her, and then she ended up, you know, it's a long story, but, but anyway, she got well and she's done well ever since. And um, but um, in 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 her case, the more we dug, we saw. She wanted, uh, we all want the love of, of God and a mom and a dad, I think, when we're born. And uh, she never got her dad's love. She just got him narcissistically using and abusing her and, you know, maybe saying he loved her sometimes. And um, and, and so she craved uh, uh, her dad's affection. And so that's one reason why she was a, a, attached or attracted to, in a codependent way, to narcissistic males that would be like her dad and then another another reason is when you come from uh, a childhood like that it makes you want to fix your childhood which is there's nothing wrong with fixing it but we need to fix it you can't fix the one that you came from but you can fix the wounds in yourself you know with with uh, therapy and things and so she wanted to fix her childhood so unconsciously when she married these guys she every one of them she thought was a nice guy when she married them she didn't know they were jerks when she married them because they hid it until they got married and uh, so, but it's like she had antennas. She could go into a bar or a party or something. And it, it's like she had invisible antennas on the back of her head that would zap. I'm in love with you. You know, and it would always be the guy that's just like that. And people are like that. They can pick it up, you know. And and so, um, uh, so, so she wanted to be married to somebody like her dad so she could fix that person and in that way feel like she's fixing her dad. But it, that was all an unconscious thing. And And then... And then a third reason was she hated her dad for abusing her. And so if she married somebody like her dad, she could end up uh, rejecting them and hating them and getting even with her dad. So, you know, three different things that we could pick up on. There might have been a lot more than that were going on unconsciously. And it shows how much you can be an intelligent uh, person and, and be controlled by your unconscious. And you're making huge life decisions. Uh, even in, on who to marry and, and the careers that we choose. And we can make huge life decisions and only know about 10% of the reason or 20% of the reason why we want to do it. And 80% of it 
or it could be sick codependency issues that are pulling us in, in a certain direction. Yeah. It's hard to uncover that stuff. I mean, especially, you know, when you've got childhood issues that bring that up. It seems like uh, it just, you figure it out layers at a time. <laughs> yeah, in therapy. And, uh, of course, yeah. in, in a day program, we do it seven hours a day. So it's easier to, you know, we can dig it out in you know, a week or two. I mean, you know, dig it out, then you got to you take somebody apart and put them back together again, you know. but. Uh, but we dig and probe and, and figure out those things. You know, they, 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 they've come out. We do things to, that shortcut the process. That our listeners right now, those of you in our listening family, uh, you know, if you're pretty healthy, you can even do this by yourself without a therapist there, but you may want to do it with a therapist. But you can put an empty chair in front of you, like, like we had her do that, put an empty chair in front of you. And, uh, and in her case, we had her pretend like her dad was sitting in the chair. And so she talked to him. And, and I said, now tell them how you feel. And, and people are afraid to do that. So usually they turn around and say, well, here's what I would tell them. I said, no, don't tell me what you tell them. Talk, you know, call them, you know, dad or whatever you call them and tell them how you feel about the things that he did. And so they'll start doing that. And at first it's just sort of soft, normal talk. And within two or three minutes, they're weeping and grieving and, you know, uh, hitting the chair and things. And, and we call that deep defexus, the, varied emotions come out and and they just you know they feel really horrible at the moment but the next day they feel a lot better they feel relieved you know like letting out uh pus from a pus wound i hate to use the illustration hope nobody's eating their dinner uh, while they're listening to our podcast. <laughs> how do you put somebody i mean that to me i mean i love it i because i'm always like let's just get to the work let's figure out what it is i don't want to you know, spend eight months on this. Um, so how does somebody... If she would have gone to weekly therapy, it might have taken a year yeah, or two years. or even longer. Yeah. But how does yeah. someone go home? Like you show up completely unaware of so many things and then you have this boom awareness and then you go home and all of your behaviors, and I promise listeners, this totally fits into what we're talking about. Um, there's all these behaviors that you have in place as a codependent person and your life could be filled with narcissists on every corner, right? I mean, that could just be like yeah. at work at whatever, cause that's what you're used to. And then you go and you do yeah. like the catalyst program and then you go home and you're like, Arr! I mean, how do people deal with that? <laughs> yeah. They start having aha responses. We call that, you know, where they yeah. figure out uh, they have acute awarenesses of things that, that they weren't aware of before. And that's why they need to go to outpatient therapy after they leave the day program to continue to uh, work on things that they become aware of. And I tell people when they come in, uh, I saw um, uh, two people today that I admitted to the day program, but I tell them the first day they're there, you know, and, and they're usually feeling suicidal and, and, and um, unable to function and maybe having panic attacks. And I mean, these are normal, you know, executives and nurses and, you know, pastors, and they're really normal, healthy people most of the time, but they're going through a crisis. And I tell them, at the end of the first week, you're going to feel even worse. You know, they, they don't like hearing that. I said, now, we're going to dig and probe, and, and uh, I know you feel really bad, and, that's it, and and we will give you some medications to make it more bear, bearable. But at the end of the first week, you may feel worse because you're becoming aware of a lot of things that you don't know. And then about the end of the second week, 
you know, you feel quite a bit better. And by the end of the third week, you feel really good. You feel great. Most people go home after the third week or sometimes the fourth week. And then you have to implement or sort of live in this. Now you've got all this awareness. You come back home. Now your environment hasn't changed while you were away. So you come home to, and you plunk right back into it. We try to get, the family, mm, try to get okay. the family involved. If they're local, we get them. We get the mate and other uh, family members to, to come in and uh, uh, have a family session, have several family sessions. And, and we do try to get uh, the family system um, addressed. You know, if they live out of town, we do it by phone. Uh, we don't talk about the patient to any relatives without the patient listening in. Right. We want but but we do deal with that, and uh, sometimes the you know the people the mate send <laughs> the narcissistic mate back home will send their victim to us so that we'll straighten them out so they'll obey the <laughs> the narcissist. You know, so a lot of them are really disappointed that the, that the person they sent her to get treated didn't come out the way they thought they would. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was they thinking. You come yeah. home and now you have this new sense of uh, some empowerment under your belt and you start making changes and yeah. everybody's like, uh, we didn't sign up for you to get better. Yeah. <laughs> so it's one of the hardest things. No, Kristen, well, it's they, one of the they, hardest they signed things. Up to get better, but they thought better was being more obedient to the narcissist. Yes. So. Yeah. 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 Melanie, go, go ahead. Cause yeah, that's no, it, I mean, I think, Clinicians have been aware, especially uh, in programs like Paul has at Meyer Clinics with their um, with their Catalyst program. It's one of the biggest gaps in mental health right now, and that is the aftercare of what happens when you leave. Um, you know, when whenever you leave the hospital or whatever program that you've been in, and you're just new into recovery and you're let back out into the real world. I mean, this is equivalent to soldiers coming home from war, you know, you're, you're put into this new environment. A lot of times you're sending the patient back into the same dysfunctional environment and it's incredibly frustrating. So I think one of the things that clinicians can do is help give their clients tools. And a lot of times that can include coaching them before they leave the session about what are you going to do when, what are you going to do when you want to make that quote codependent phone call? What do you what are you going to do to support yourself so that you don't get to that point? A lot of times worksheets really help because sometimes people need something that's tangible. And I used to give a lot of those out. And the and the other thing too, again, is just, you know, giving them like an invisible toolbox, which I used to do because I used to see a lot of young kids and I knew they were going back home into a really dysfunctional environment with their parents and their parents were not going to be changing in their behavior. So what can you do to help them get to a, a better place? So I think it really is one of the biggest gaps. And then the other thing that I kept thinking about and thinking about narcissism and codependency is that I think almost all narcissists are codependent. I, I kind of think yeah, the two go hand in hand. It's just that all codependents are not narcissists. So yeah. I, I think, you know, I think that's where it goes. And that that core problem of uh, shame and denial is similar with a codependent and a narcissist. Um, and so it's this, uh, I think it's a common wound and that's often what bonds the codependent and the narcissist is this common wound of shame. 
and it and it feels um, you know identifiable and it makes them feel not alone and it can just really set people up for toxic environment and then denial too so you know a lot of times I think codependents are in a lot of denial about their behavior and they have this loss of self and and so do narcissists they don't know themselves but the thing is a codependent that can gain themselves back they can find themselves. I don't think a narcissist is ever really going to find that because I don't think it's there. That's a strong statement, but I don't. I think a real clinical narcissist, it's real hard for them to find themselves. So those are just narcissists get better, but you're right. They, yeah. they probably weren't total. A total narcissist would have no, no conscience at all. You know, just, um, you know, they wouldn't have any desire to get well, but, I've seen some very, very, very narcissistic clients who got very, very healthy um, when, when they realized that their narcissism was just making their lives miserable. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I tell them, I say, the more, if you want to be selfish, the most selfish thing you can do is really uh, dedicate your life to God and to people and, and uh, live for others because those are the only really happy people on the earth. You know, so unless you learn how to love and be loved, you'll never be happy. So if you want to be selfish in a good way, you know, Kristen, you were talking about that uh, last in, in one of the recent programs that we did, that there's a, right. a healthy uh, narcissism and an unhealthy narcissism, but it's not right. really narcissism. It's just a healthy self-love, you know, and uh, so I, uh, that sort of convinces some of them that they might need to, uh, yeah, I guess maybe, I'd, you know, I'm not getting, I'm miserable, you know, so. Right. Yeah, and those are people that are highly narcissistic, but not on the character disordered side. Yeah, so, yeah. so very, yeah. yeah, you're right, though. You're right, Melanie, because I mean, very, very, very few narcissists ever get better. And people, yeah. we encourage people that are that are uh, codependent on them, assume that they'll never change. Right. No, because they they think, especially if they're people of faith, they think that God will <clears throat> will make their mate change. And I don't think God makes people change. I think he helps people that want to change to change. But I don't think he just uh, knocks them over the head and makes them, or else we'd all be robots. <laughs> right. There is still free will. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I've seen that, too, where, like, I knew people, um, you know, younger years where they were so self-centered and selfish and such a lack of empathy. And even just an unawareness of empathy, but so clingy and attached. Like Paul, you and I talked about earlier that um, I, I almost wanted to have this show be about narcissism and attachment disorders. Cause that feels like it goes hand in hand and it goes hand in hand with that statement around, uh, you know, I, I need you or I hate you. Don't leave me. Um, this, the attachment isn't necessarily to, or it isn't to that person. It's to whatever it is the narcissist feels like they're getting out of that relationship. It's again, it's all about them. It's not about that other person. And um, it's, I think what a lot of codependent people do, I know I have is feel is mistake that attention from someone who's really narcissistic for love. Oh, but look how much they love me. This is why they behave the way that they do when they think I'm going to leave. And and when you wake up and you go through the heartache of realizing they really don't love you, they're not capable of loving you. Um, and 
it's so painful, but to do that, you start, I think that healing journey of uh, not falling for these kind of people. Cause you wake up. And it's so, so sad. Melanie, I'm sure you've seen a lot of cases like that. It's so sad when you're helping somebody that's codependent and, and a victim and, and, and they finally are making headway and they're finally growing and they're finally ready to make the break. Or maybe they even do separate uh, or leave the narcissist who's physically beating them up and raping them and everything else. Yeah. Uh, they finally leave and, and you feel like you feel so happy that they're finally getting well and then they run back or they just get into a relationship with someone just like it which often happens yeah. but i mean i want to i want to kind of challenge yeah. i don't think you have to be codependent i i think it probably is more likely when you're codependent to fall for a narcissist charms but i don't think you have to and that goes back to oh. what paul always talks about is everyone's need to be loved to love and to be loved so it is a natural inclination in us, especially those of us that have big hearts, right? And Kristen has this big heart. So it's so easy for us to, to fall for those types of things because, you know, this is what everyone's deepest desire is, especially when you didn't get it as a child. So, you know, sometimes it can be a codependent pattern, but sometimes I think it's just, it's human nature. We all want to feel special. We, we all want to feel like, you know, someone really loves and, and cares about us. It doesn't, you know, make us a codependent necessarily, but obviously having codependent tendencies would make you more vulnerable. So, yeah. you yeah. know, yeah. Yeah. narcissists are such smooth talkers that, that, uh, that, uh, they'll act really nice. They act like they care. Um, they'll listen to you yeah. even and, and things. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you fall in love with who you think they are. Right. Yes. You, know, you think you're falling in love with that person, yep. but you're falling in love with the person that they're pretending to be. Yes. And then, and then, and then when you get in a relationship with them, then you figure out, well, that's not the one. I, that's who's this guy? You know, who's this guy? That's not the one I fell in love with. You know? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then the betrayal and the pain is so hard. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. You don't want to face who they really are. Yeah. Yes. You don't have to be codependent. Yes. Anybody can get fooled. Yeah. Uh, yes. Thank you. That's so true. And it's so hard, like when you finally figure it out as an adult, maybe it's a family member and you wa you've watched them over the years just burn through people again and again and again. And you see the whole scene. It's always the same, this tremendous amount of love bombing. The person that they're targeted on is 
either really codependent or they're not, you know, because like like you just said, it can happen to anyone. But it's that same sort of getting enamored with a narcissist because, boy, do they know how to um, get anyone enamored. And you've watched it again. Then you see them get discarded. And then you see the pain that it causes. And you've seen this happen over and over again. I've found it really difficult to um, watch I don't want to see it. And uh, it's really, I've had horrible success in trying to convince that person when they're just dewy eyed over a narcissist. Look, you're number 27. I know you don't want to believe that, but I've been here for 40 years. Da, 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 da. It never goes well. It's like you have, they have to figure it out on their own because they, they're being so bedazzled that you're just not going to convince them, you know? And, and somebody that's a nice person that falls for a narcissist won't keep doing it over and over and over again. But right. uh, the codependent person, like that movie star, was definitely codependent, or else she wouldn't have got seven almost exact people in a row that were right. alike when she thought they were the opposite when she married them. And uh, you know that's that's what well, you can have bad luck once, but you know if you start throwing a uh, your coin up in the air and it lands on heads, you know, 30 <laughs> times in a row. <laughs> There's something going on, <laughs> some right. magic going on there. <laughs> what about you, Melanie, where you, you know, you, because you and I have talked about it, where you just see somebody and it's not maybe that, you know, the new person that someone is targeting. Maybe you don't know them at all, but you know what they're in for. Um, how, you know, how is that for you or has that been for you where you're like, oh, I want to say something, but it's just not going to help? <laughs> well, it's easy for me because remember, I'm stubborn and hardheaded, right? And so <laughs> I want to learn myself. And so it's easier for me to kind of put it in someone else's hands and not feel like I have to do something because sometimes that is the only way we learn, um, you know, just choosing your words carefully or just understanding that it's it's just not your lesson to learn you know not not being codependent about it right <laughs> even though and, and and i want people to understand that oftentimes codependency comes from a desire to to want to help others or to want to put others first um, and then somehow it works its way into this very unhealthy pattern because it's a safer place than living with safe boundaries and healthy boundaries. And so this is something that that anyone can really fall into in different times of their life. But, yeah, I mean, I think it's, uh, you know, I've always been one to just step back, I guess, because I've I've known that I've had to learn the hard way, but obviously if it was something really dangerous or something that yeah. really was going to affect the other person's life, I, I would, I would speak up about it, but it, it's hard. I mean, it's, especially as a clinician, you can't just say to a client, I don't think this guy sounds like a good match for you. You don't say that to a client, you know, you, you just help them be more self-aware and help them have a more clear understanding of the behavior of 
whoever it is that they may be in a relationship with. I did that multiple times with young women that would get involved with these toxic guys. And I couldn't just say, this guy's a loser. What are you thinking? You can't say that, right, Paul? Or nice guys that exactly. get attached to a narcissistic woman. Yeah, exactly. I only saw women. I saw <laughs> very few men. Right I got yes. an article right here in front of me on the uh, yes. on my computer that talks about that. that it's, yes, uh, I never. 50% yes. Each. It is 50 percent. And I believe that. But I just mainly saw women. Yeah. So that's my yeah. you know, that's yeah. my my framework. But, yeah, you, you have to help them. And women see are more subtle. Patterns. Yes. Yeah. Women are more subtle in their narcissism. Men are, you know, it's, it's pretty obvious. Usually pretty you know, obvious. Uh, yeah. Because uh, men are. Usually, yeah, I mean, they're, they're someone really intelligent. Like we should talk about that on a show one night. How intelligent makes, you know, mental illness really tough. Like a really smart, intelligent narcissist is whew, yeah. much worse than someone that might not have a, a higher IQ. Um, yeah. It definitely makes things a little more difficult. But yeah, it's it's hard to say, Kristen. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean. Women in, our, I, women in our culture are pushed to be sweet and right. less outwardly aggressive. Mm -hmm. and, and so they, they they practice their narcissism in more subtle ways, like bullying, uh, gossiping, putting uh, right. one yeah. thing. Oh, and, believe uh, me, I've, I've experienced both sexes being total yeah. narcissists. So I, I, I know <laughs> I've been the target of that in different ways. And I think, I, I guess, um, let's talk about what... You know, as you work on your own codependency, which means that you, like you, so one of you said, not all codependents are narcissists, mm -hmm. but all narcissists are codependent. So let's say you're the codependent in the relationship and you've been that forever and you do, you know, you go to the catalyst program, you do your therapy, you, you know, do all these things and you start to, you're not codependent anymore. You've still got some gotchas and you still, you know, I see myself in this way, like, really a lot of growth and they still come in you know what what's that um that old halloween song the worms crawl in the worms crawl out they go into your ears yeah. and out of your mouth in and out <laughs> <your> <laughs> yes i think about when that your, uh, brain turns grimy green yes. uh something will come out like whipped cream or something Exactly. I think, well, they still come in. And if you're, especially if you're, let's see, you own your own company, you're out there in the media, you got a really sparkling personality and they think that they're going to be able to make money off of you. You're even more of a shiny object for them to come in. So they still yeah. come in, but my, I'm still a nice person that gives people the benefit of the doubt, but I'm so much better about, mm, yeah, this doesn't really, this doesn't feel right. And they figure that out and they change their tune. And then I catch them again. And I've learned like in the last few times, I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to disengage completely because now I smell a rat. It's obvious. Yeah. I've thrown a few red herrings out. They totally ran with them. And I don't go through that horrible stage that I used to, where I beat myself up, I'm pathetic, that I just go, nope, I'm out. And what's fascinating is they go away. Once they realize the jig is up and you're not yeah. falling for it anymore, 
they don't really, they don't want anything to do with you. They, it's kind of alarming. It's yeah. alarming, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they just how fast. A lot of women don't like to hear this. A lot of women don't like to hear this in this modern era where, you know, uh, people have sex on the second or third date or something. Ooh, date. I but I tell, I tell young women that are dating, I tell them, well, here's how you can tell if you're, if your uh, new boyfriend is a narcissist or not, don't allow them to have sex until you get married. <laughs> and uh, if they're a narcissist, they're gone tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I did but that if they really time. love you and who you are, they'll, they'll, stick around, they'll stick around and date you even if they don't get sex. Oh, you know, my gosh, Paul. It's true. I did that a couple times. That's one way times. to find out. Yeah, and I had one very gorgeous guy from Sweden, very sexy, and I, octopus hands, I used to call him, the octopus from Sweden. And uh, <laughs> I finally just said, listen, I'm they, stop. I, I'm saving myself for marriage this time around, and I never heard from him again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we'll see you later. I wasn't yeah. interested in sticking That's around. one way to find out if somebody's an narcissist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know... No, go ahead, Kristen. I was just going to say that piece around uh, for you listeners that, you know, you have been on the codependent side of things. You, I want to stress how much you, you do not have to keep engaging. We always think, oh, we have to respond to their emails or we have to pick up the phone and, and, and respond. And, and their whole thing is to keep you in the game. So they're going to ratchet up you know, they're in contact with you. They want to get you on the phone. That's a big one for me. They want to get me on the phone. That's that's such a huge red flag for me. Why? Could, so you can try to con- still convince me that your baloney is actually not baloney. And uh, I've learned I can literally just stop all communication and they fire yeah, themselves. You got to do it. You <laughs> got to do it. Amazing. Yeah, you got to cut it off completely. Yeah, and that feels weird. It feels weird to a codependent to do that or for something. Because what happens is, see, this is what happened. I think codependent can either be innate in your personality traits, like we've talked about personality on the show, and it can just be more of your personality style. But then also, I think it can come about through trauma or pain, because what better way to be codependent? Codependent Codependent means putting other people's feelings before yours, worrying about what everyone else thinks instead of yourself. Well, when you have a lot of pain and wounds, what better way to avoid it than to put everyone else first? And so the best way to become not codependent is to deal with your pain, is to to feel it and heal it and let it go, right? And so if, if we can just start doing that, because... You understand how this tango happens between a codependent and a narcissist because a narcissist is constantly going to be wounding you, wounding you, wounding you, wounding you. And the further and further and further, you're going to be hurt and hurt and hurt. And you don't want to deal with that pain. And so what do you do? You just continue to put the narcissist first over and over and over and over and put everyone else's needs first because you don't really want to deal with what's going on with you. And by the time you cut the narcissist out of your life, you're left feeling with years sometimes of pain of narcissistic abuse. And that's why it's so hard to not go back to the narcissist. So for people and listeners that don't really understand how this slowly happens over time, I hope that can help people understand how that the pattern gets started. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. 
Most commonly, it seems like it seems most commonly it's uh, from childhood. You know, I've been taught, and I believe it's probably true that about eighty-five percent of your basic personality, meaning the way you look at men and women and life and the world, things, about eighty-five percent of your basic personality, they say, is formed by your sixth birthday. And most people in the world don't even stop to think about what they think or why they yeah. think it. They, they just let their unconscious keep running them. And, uh, but anybody can change. You know, we're not locked into that. Anybody can change no matter how old we are. What were you going to ask, Kristen? I was just going to say, you know, that, and I always find that fascinating that by the time you're six, because probably I was a neat little kid um, up until about six and then everything went, kind of went downhill in terms of so much stress and that's when all like the trauma started and then I just sort of caved into myself like my lights went out when you got, a long when you got time. therapy now, now you're back yeah. being that neat little that neat little kid again now you're a neat little dog you know <laughs> <laughs> well I try but uh but yeah, yeah. it's like, and yeah, you get to experience all the stuff that you missed out on that you're joyous about, like a little kid is joyous about. But it's it's fascinating to me how um, I guess that piece where, you know, when someone does that work, uh, the work that someone who's character disordered is really just, well, I don't want to say all character disorders, um, narcissistic or antisocial personality disorder that they're just not going to do um, because it's work. It's looking at yourself. It's evolving. And man, you know, hang on to the codependent. There's nothing wrong with you because you have codependency issues. In fact, most everybody does. But the chances yeah, that you're, sure. you're going to get through it and be and have an amazing life and be healed and then recognize these people sooner is so great for you. <laughs> it's not going to yeah. be. I, I, I got really ripped it. off. I got really ripped off by sociopathic narcissistic investors. And yet, mm -hmm. my, you know, in my, in my I grew up in a nice, uh, normal childhood. And, and, and I think my mom and dad are. You know, we're both very loving and giving people, and, and uh, I, I, I think they were honest, and I, I, I think I was just so honest that when people came along and, and lied and ripped me off, and, you know, I'd, I'd sign a business deal, and they'd slip other uh, papers uh, right. in between those other pa pages, because I didn't bother to read all the pages, because yeah. I'm trusting, you know, and I, I, I one, one con man, uh, uh, I got a phone call saying that your gold Mercedes is uh, getting repossessed. I said, I have a gold Mercedes. <laughs> oh. <laughs> they said, well, your name got. Oh, my gosh. You know, wow. And it, turned out be, it turned out to be the guy that was ripping me off, his uh, brother-in-law. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I, I bought him the gold Mercedes without knowing it. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> and that happens to a lot of people. You know, that I, yeah. I, I've said this to my son. You know, he's he lives in the very wealthy part of Florida, and he you know, he's young, so he tends to kind of look at, well, look at all these people that have this and this. And I tell him, look, there's nothing wrong with having money. I mean, absolutely. It's, you know, that that's great. But it, it also opens you up to a lot of stuff uh, being a target in some ways. So if you're going to pray to, you know, be really financially success successful, also pray that you're extremely wise <laughs> and, and that you see 
things before they happen because so many people I know that, you know, made a lot of money that was like knocking on the door from all kinds of people that really ripped them off. And they learned really harsh lessons and a lot of pain around that, including me. I mean, the times that, um, you know, I've done really well, um, financially it's like they smell it like blood in the water (laughs) oh boy do they have a tale to tell you about how they're going to triple your income and do all this stuff and at the end of it you're like what tsunami just hit me yeah no at my age i don't even want to hear business deals i don't want to hear them you know if (laughs) if i you know if i see if i have a really good friend that is doing something that that works then i may do what that really good friend is doing but I don't even listen to, you know, people that want to come, you know, they're all, they're, they're always calling and wanting to, Oh, you've just got to do this. This is blah, blah, right. blah. And I'm not interested. Thank you. I know. I figure out where we're an obsessive compulsive, counted all an obsessive compulsive disorder person. That was a religious person counted all the verses in the Bible one time to see which one was in the middle. Now, I mean, that doesn't seem like a logical thing to do, but it, it just happens to turn out. That the one in the middle is in Psalms, and it says, "Don't put your trust in man." <laughs> it, it helps to remember wow. that. Oh my gosh! So don't trust people. God says, "Don't trust people." Well, Paul, you know, do you think? Do you think that part of your, you know, going, because you know, you've had all kinds of different levels of success, and do you think that part of your making a, a change to do what you do with Meyer clinics and it's a nonprofit and being of service. And I know you always have been, I just mean after the kind of success that you have, do you think that that has helped protect you from that kind of, those kinds of things happening? Yeah. 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 Because if, you know, people can't come and try to um, make a deal where they merge with you or they're, you know, they're purchasing you or things like that. Right. And being a nonprofit, you know, I, there's a board of directors that they have to answer to. So I don't, you know, I can't make a deal. I should never make a deal with anybody because I don't even trust myself to make a good deal. <laughs> you know, I, I get ripped off routinely. I mean, but that's, but I don't anymore because I just don't, you know, I, Engage. I don't make any deals. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The minute someone's. Well, I think I'm getting better. I think I'm 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 getting better, but I still have my my things. But I the minute that they start wanting to lie, like they come in because they think we're going to do something for them, or the network is going to do something for them, and so they have this projected idea of what the network is. And I'm sorry when I to punch a hole in their projection when I say we're a bunch of advocates. We're not walking around, you know, with dollar signs. Um, so usually they'll um they want to make us bigger than we are and it never i may sort of while i'm trying to figure out what they're doing um i play along for a little bit trying to figure out well what the heck are where are they coming from and at the end of the day i think you know this is just if i cared about that kind of stuff i wouldn't be doing what i'm doing and you know like i said they end up just Going and finding another target, they aren't crying over what didn't happen with you. They're off to find the next one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is what this is what these people do is they're con men, you know, and women. This is yep. uh, 
how they get through life and they don't have to work hard for anything. They just take advantage of someone else because that's something else. Yeah. Yeah. Narcissists are lazy. I feel like personally, personally lazy. And I I brought this up with someone. um, I don't remember who it was. Oh, uh, Christine Louis de Cannonville from Ireland. She's a therapist in Ireland. She wrote, she's written many books. Um, The three faces of evil is one of them about narcissism. And she, um, and she was talking about, you know, character disordered narcissism. And she had said, you know, they, they want a shortcut to success. And you're the shortcut. Yep. And I thought, oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, I think as we figure out where our codependency issues are, and thank you, God, for bringing in some pretty narcissistic people, because, boy, did they, you know, have they helped me look at where I need to work. Um and then also enjoy the disengagement with m- not much fanfare. Like it dies with a with a whimper, not a bang, once you really can just disengage. Yeah. And then I think you learn how to accept from people that are actually authentic and genuine. You accept their authenticity and genuineness and not the flamboyance of the narcissist. And, and you and you're and because you're opening up more and because you're healthier, you can actually accept and embrace, you know, authenticity and genuineness. And that feels good and gets you just as excited as whatever pros the narcissist has thrown your way. Um, and eventually you get to that point And then, you know, those relationships become just as rewarding as being swept off your feet by some narcissist that comes along, you know. Right, exactly. So you, yeah. you just you want to hear? Do you want to hear, <laughs> yeah, you hear uh, five? Let's see. What's your five traits of narcissistic women? Yes. yes. Because we never talk yes. about narcissistic women, and I'm we not going to, to be. Sex- oh no, I'm not either. I'm not we'll either. I love men. I don't want any any of the listeners to think that I'm a man basher. I don't. I love. Yeah. I love. It's all good. <laughs> so you want you want me to tell you? Uh, yes. Because yeah. I've got it right here in front of me from a research article uh, on my computer here. Um, the, the, the five traits that, that they're listening, uh, one is they crave attention. So women narcissists are more likely to dress provocatively and by being seductive, it's, uh, um, it, it's highly likely that the attention in the room will be on them. Um, so they dress in a provocative manner to, um, to have more, it makes them have more self-confidence and, feeling attractive and that sort of thing. And it attracts the attention of others. Um, um, so that's one of them. The second one is they're highly competitive. Um, mm. So women narcissists believe that they're superior to other people intellectually. Mm-hmm. So they think they're smarter than everybody else. They, they believe that people are envious and jealous of them. And uh, they use that as an excuse for their lack of meaningful relationships. And the third one is that they have a sense of entitlement, which, you know, of course is obvious. Narcissists yeah. believe entitled. They, they believe they deserve special treatment um, it, it, while investing a minimal amount in the mm-hmm. other person. Like, like you yeah. said, uh, Melanie, they're lazy. They have yeah. a lack of empathy and remorse for mistakes and wrongdoings. They exploit and hurt people to get what they want. So they want people to give them things, uh, attention and things and whatever because they're, you know, they're too lazy to go out and get it themselves. And the fourth one is 
um, they don't take responsibility. Uh, they rarely, if ever, take responsibility for their actions and behaviors and different situations. They blame everything on the other person. Um, so pay attention to the way that they talk about their past and different situations and to see whether there's a narcissistic pattern if they're, if they're always the victim. And then the fifth one is they, they have an abnormal amount of rage uh, or aggression when things don't go their way. Mm -hmm. Or if they're rejected, they they overreact. Like, uh, oh, I, what was that movie where Glenn Close was? Uh, oh, and uh, kind of the Rabbit Lady. Is that what you're talking yeah. about? Yeah. The yeah. Rabbit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fatal, Attra yeah. Yeah. Fatal Attraction. Fatal yeah. Attraction. Yeah. Fatal go. Attraction is a a good movie on on uh, on female narcissists. Narcissist Scared woman. all men across the world for a long time. Yes. Yeah. They have a lot of rage <laughs> that shows. If they don't get what they want, they can really, really lose their tempers. Uh, and um, so, um, anyway, that's some narcissistic traits of narcissistic women. Of the female variety, yeah. I we definitely could devote a whole a whole show to that, and we just might, since we're you know doing um, sort of. Uh, topics that meld together so maybe our next one will be about the narcissistic female um i've got plenty of examples yeah you do <laughs> <laughs> yep yep exactly so well this was great so we covered narcissism and codependency and uh, a big takeaway for me was the not all codependents are narcissists but all narcissists are codependent um, that's huge for me. I'm not quite sure why I'm going to have to really think about that this week, but that hit me right in my, my solar plexus. So thank you for that. I, think, I don't remember which one of you said it, but um, that, that was amazing. So Paul, your takeaway from, from this. And, and well, and uh, uh, all narcissists uh, have attachment yes. disorders because they don't know yeah. how to connect in love people, but not all people with attachment disorders are narcissists. Because some people are born, um, you know, with uh, genetic uh, uh, trouble connecting with other people, you know, like, like autistic kids and things like that, you know, so. Right. But, How about you, Mel? Um, I mean, just hearing what, what Paul and you just said, that uh, this is a, if we just can understand that basis about narcissists, that they are codependent and they have attachment disorders, we can certainly make sense of a lot of their behavior. Uh, it makes sense why they often cheat, why they don't have any remorse. There's no attachment there. There's, there's nothing to drive remorse when there's no attachment. So I think if we really can understand that, it helps us better understand the behavior of a narcissist and can therefore help us not get involved with them. That's and my takeaway. Absolutely. And listeners, just so you know that, and this has been going on all day today, my dog is now the snoring extraordinaire dog. There's no nasal issue. I just noticed that all day today I've been having to like throw bits of paper on her so that we don't hear. Oh no. Ramsey's was doing the same thing. Didn't hear Ramsey's was doing this. I kept pushing mute because he's laying beside it. me snorting. Yeah, he sounds like a piglet. 
I can hear her. Well, I didn't hear it. Yeah. But yeah, I didn't hear anything. But you and I are hearing our animals, Kristen. <laughs> yes. I'm like, what on earth is with this dog? She's like, I'm over it. Narcissist, sick of hearing about it. She's. Like, <laughs> well, thank you both for coming on and doing this one tonight. Thank you. Good to talk to you guys. And thanks to our listening family for another edition of our series on Roundtable with Dr. Paul Meyer. We'll talk to you next time. Hi, this is Dr. Paul Meyer, founder of the National Chain of Meyer Clinics. I've often told you about how people just like you are getting the healing that they need from emotional issues like depression, anxiety, anger problems, and relational problems. We wanted to share with you Mickey's experience at our day program and how it has affected his life. The Meyer Clinics has been a real blessing to me. Dr. Meyer told me that people get well here and my life has been completely changed. I have been symptom free for three years and I'd recommend it to anybody that really wants to overcome an emotional problem of any kind. Mickey's story is like so many others that we receive. It's an encouragement to us and we hope it will also be an encouragement to you to call us to get the emotional help that you've needed. Please call toll-free 888-7-CLINIC to be connected to the Meyer Clinic program nearest you. That's 1-888-7-CLINIC or go to MeyerClinics.com. That's www.meierclinics.com. Sometimes I'm passive-aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all we promised, we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you I can fight it. Good boy.